1: Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard and this is pain.tv slash gold. Happy Saturday evening, folks. Sunday morning, whenever it is, you are listening, folks. I just had my sister and brother-in-law over the first time since uh, William was born, so they got to meet the baby, so that was a lot of fun, ladies and gentlemen. I just Cooked uh, a wonderful one-and-a-quarter-inch-thick organic pork chop from Hemp's Meats, the butcher that we go to here in town uh, for my wife, and I rendered down some apples and made an applesauce to put on top of that, and then she made some Brussels sprouts with Parmesan cheese, folks. So we went back to our candlelight dinner finally. Yes, 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 folks. Ever since I met her, we do a candlelight dinner every night. The only time we don't is when we go out to eat because nobody really does candlelit dinners anymore. So we do it every night at the dining room table. And over the last uh, week since the baby was born and then the uh, three days of that, so it's been 10 days really since we had a real dinner, a candlelit dinner. And so it was kind of impossible because we had the baby in the cradle. We don't really like to leave him unattended even when he's sleeping for now you know you want to keep an eye on him so auntie maria albanese sent us this swing and it came in the mail via Amazon today. So, Auntie Maria, co-host of the Thomas Paine Podcast on Fridays. Thank you very much, folks. This thing is great. You know I would not put any smart technology in my house, okay? You know that if you listen to the show. I don't want anything that hooks up to the iPhone, attaches to an app, which is very hard to find these days. But Maria was able to get this swing. And it's an old-fashioned one. It reminds me of something from the 1980s when I was a kid and you plug it into the wall, and it's got like six buttons on the side, and it adjusts, you know, how fast the swing goes. Nothing fancy. It's perfect. It's analog. So Wide Awake Jim over there at Twitter, who's been a guest on the show, would love it too. He always says, use cash, buy local, go analog. And so this is an analog swing, and the baby loves it. So we set it up right next to the dining room table. It's got old-fashioned music, like six different songs you could choose from, and it's the Old midi keyboard songs from like when i was a kid like a classical music but do, 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 do. it's actually pretty cool and so uh, i said oh my god she found something that doesn't have to be hooked up to an iphone so we set that up next to the table the baby fell asleep right away my wife and i got to have a romantic candlelit dinner which we do Every night, pretty much. We don't go out to eat that much. Um, If we go out to eat, it's going to be Thai food, Japanese, Korean, something we can't really cook at home. I don't go out to eat for fancy steaks. We do those at home. All the American food we do, all the Polish food she does. She also cooks uh, really good lamb pita wraps. I just did Indian a few days ago. That was fantastic. So we don't really go out to eat that much unless it's for some kind of ethnic food that would take too long to cook at home or we don't have those spices in the house. But otherwise, we cook a pretty extravagant meal every night since I met. Her. So, candle at dinner. Thank you, Auntie Maria, for making that happen. Folks, I just want to remind you please leave a five star review at Apple Podcasts and a comment over there. It helps us move off the charts we are back on track today was the second largest uh download second largest listener day ever in the history of the dust and gold standard so i really appreciate that folks join us over at pain.tv slash gold and you know you get the ad free video version of this podcast as well as the thomas pain podcast and access to the facebook like app and website. It was designed similar to Facebook. Mike Moore did it that way so people wouldn't have a major learning curve. Meet like-minded folks over there, join in on the discussion. I'm getting ready over the coming weeks now that I'm settled back in with a baby to start doing a live show there once a week where I can take live call uh, calls from the audience, from you guys, if you're a member at TV slash gold. So check that out. If you join the Hotwire level, you're going to get access to Mike's highest level of intelligence. If you join the Basic, you'll get access to the ad-free video version of this podcast and the Thomas Paine podcast. And then I'm working on another tier there. I think Mike's going to do that for me, where I'm going to have audio books on all the old technocracy documents, a bunch of old books that have never been turned into books. I'm working on recording to create a live of audio content. This way, if you want to listen to these documents uh, in depth, and you're driving in the car, you don't have time to read thousands of pages. I'm going to start cataloging all of these. I want them for myself, so I might as well make them premium content over there at Pain slash Gold. Also, I mentioned yesterday, if you want to register your car out of state because your state is a pain in the butt, like here in the state of Maryland, check out Dirt Legal. The link is in the description. Below this podcast. All right, folks, I think that's it. We got all that house cleaning out of the way. Uh, I talked to Wide Awake Jim again today. He's got episode three ready to go in the Climate Hustle series. Uh, if you haven't listened to that yet, check it out. I reran episode 80 today, which is eight parts, it's four hours total and i put that out because i think it is the most listened to podcast in the library of 90 episodes that i've already done so it's really good jim gets into the climate hustle really proves that it is all fake the question is why is it fake why did they spend the last 25 years building this climate industry and that is because one they were able to grift and make a lot of money off it along the way but as i always say follow the money when it comes to the lower 99 percent follow the control follow the power when it comes to the top one percent so they set up an entire industry now let's say directly uh there are A million people who make money off of the climate hustle, right? People down to a sales guy who sells solar panels to put on your roof. And let's say indirectly, so people that work in factories that produce climate or green economy-based products, right? Let's say there's 5 million people. Then take all of the family members that rely on that person's income. So let's say there's four people in the family. All of a sudden, you have 20 million people. And these aren't the real numbers i'm just throwing this out there let's say now you have 20 million people that are vested in the success of the climate industry meaning that those people have to believe that climate change at least the climate change that the elites put forward climate change at the hands of co2 is real right and so this makes it easier to implement additional regulations under the climate hustle as they move this thing forward. It makes it easier for them to implement universal basic income, central bank digital currency, carbon credits, carbon credit backed CBDC. So that's why they're doing this. So check out episode 80 and episode 88 if you want to get caught up on this. In the third part of the series, Jim is going to start going through uh, international Monetary Fund, Bank of International Settlements, and he's going to work his way through and show how the Bank for International Settlements is behind uh, BlackRock, they're behind State Street, they're behind Vanguard, and how they use those companies to then buy a large portion of a public company's shares so they have control. And this is how they put the ESG controls inside of those companies, how they bring the wokeness inside of those companies and each time they do this they have control over the companies and then they're able to further build out this high school theater production this live action role play prison planet that we live inside right so if all of a sudden they want to push the idea that boys are in fact girls, they can then control, let's say, Coca-Cola and Pepsi and Nike and the NFL and the NBA and the uh, all these different companies and brands. And then overnight, you literally snap your fingers and everybody is pushing a boy is a girl agenda. And you say, how is this happening? And even if you say this is ridiculous, well, within a few months, it's become normalized because even the people who will never accept it as normal end up just saying, whatever, fine two plus two is five leave me alone all right folks and what is that That is social engineering. That's how you get it done, right? So you pass the dollars down to the lower 99%. The 1% get more power and they get more control. And they do this through social engineering. They do it through bribery. They use the money in part to socially engineer. Now, I have this document back up on the screen. This is from 1937. It's one of the Technocracy Incorporated's magazines. And I just want to remind you, this is a uh, article called What is Technocracy? Now, this is written throughout many of Technocracy, Inc., and uh, sort of the precursors to Technocracy, Inc., Uh, In their documents, but it says technocracy is the science of social engineering, the scientific operation of the entire social mechanism to produce and distribute goods and services to the entire population of this continent. So, the science of social engineering, and we can see how they get this done. I just told you if they push policies out of the Bank for International Settlements and then they use their big players like BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street to then go control a company through the shares and then taking over board seats, they're able to then push policies like wokeness and then if all of these companies that are running ads all the time on the radio and TV and the internet start to push a message, it looks like they're all in sync and it's happening all at one time and eventually you can socially engineer Society into those things. Look at the situation that we ended up in, my wife and I, with the birth. Okay, take an ultrasound, for instance. We went 42 weeks and two days into this birth, about two weeks, two days past the expected due date, which is 40 weeks out, and we were able to avoid the ultrasound. Now, I did a bunch of research on this. If you've done it in the past, don't worry. I'm not here to judge you, but we decided against it. Well, if you talk to almost anyone, an ultrasound is basically just accepted as normal. Most people today would assume that they've been doing ultrasounds all the way back to the birth of Christ. Uh, People say, you're not getting an ultrasound. I said, listen, uh, my mother didn't have an ultrasound with me or my sister. It wasn't commonplace. My wife's mother in Poland didn't have an ultrasound with her, but see what happens is over the course of a generation, and now these guys are trying to speed up this process, they are able to socially engineer society into believing that the ultrasound is something that has been around for over 2,000 years. It's just normal, it just happens, and most people just do what their doctors tell them. And the doctors may not be out to necessarily hurt them, but if the doctor was trained inside the Rockefeller Medical Industrial Complex education system, then they know nothing else than to send a pregnant woman for an ultrasound even though an ultrasound was really only used in the last 40 years they believe it's been around since the beginning of mankind, right? So that's how you socially engineer. And this is how all the things that we're dealing with today seem to be just normal. People assume they've been around forever. If it is the norm, if it's socially engineered into society, people just accept that they no longer question it. They don't research it. I just tangled with a relative uh, over the last 48 hours who is the same way. Anything that comes out of the CDC is gospel. And if you question that, you are a dangerous person to them, but they don't bother to actually go do the research into the studies put out by the CDC and see what a sham these things are. I could do 10 episodes on all of the CDC studies I read related to what happened, uh, things we were going to come into contact with throughout the pregnancy, right? And saw that these things were, in fact, bogus, but they're socially engineered into society using all the doctors, part of the lower 99%, these people that are incentivized through money to then go out and implement the policies, and they don't even question the policies. And this is what technocracy is all about, socially engineering society so jim is going to come back on i think we're going to record next week maybe during thanksgiving week And we're going to get that episode ready to go. And then he has three other episodes planned after that. Now, apparently, there's going to be about three or four more. But this is all brilliant content. Jim actually uh, supplies all the charts, all the graphs, everything coming out of the UN, the Bank for International Settlements, all the think tanks. And he shows that internally they're admitting that climate hustle is, in fact, a hustle folks so I'm working on that and I have another couple guests gearing up to come on the show which I will talk about right after this short break my name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard thank you very much for joining us on Saturday night Sunday morning right here on pain.tv slash gold
0: More listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold Gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard
1: on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to TV slash gold. And this is the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks, so... What's going on in the news? I don't really cover the news. I try not to follow breaking news. Because I want these shows to be evergreen so that you can listen to them at any point in time. Out of order, you could go back and find the episodes before because sometimes I'll do a mini-series that spans across three or four episodes. But I try not to really do breaking news. Uh, Mike Moore covers all that over at the Thomas Paine Podcast. But let me just bring this up because it ties into the push for CBDC and the regulations that the government are going after as far as cryptocurrency goes. It's this FTX story, all right? And I'm not going to go into depth on it right now because, frankly, I haven't been following it. And the reason why is uh, I have friends of mine who are. So Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, is following it. Dan Golvach, who I've had on the show, good friend of mine. Um, He's been studying theology and world politics, geopolitics, uh, corruption, criminality cults and all that kind of stuff for the last 45 years. And so Dan is really digging deep into FTX. So I'm going to try to get him on in the next couple of days so he can come on here and open my eyes to what's happening. Now, let me just tell you, in all honesty, one of the reasons why I'm not following this is... When I look at these things come out, and then all of a sudden it goes across Fox News, MSNBC, and I start getting text messages from all of my normie friends, the normies, the people that watch that kind of news, it just tells me that it's part of the WWE wrestling. Now, I understand that all of a sudden Jerome Powell is now calling for regulations, and they need the regulations in order to regulate crypto, in order to put CBDC in place, but I don't believe that our country actually operates within the constitutional republic system, and I don't believe that Jerome Powell needs congressional oversight and new laws and regulations in order to implement CBDC. I think these people just do whatever the hell they want, and it doesn't really matter. They implement most stuff out of the executive branch, and they do it using private sector partners, right? So they use government money that they funnel to the so-called private sector partners, and then the private sector partners implement the public policy, the government policy. So they can go around this. It's not like there's anyone who's going to prosecute them if they violate the Constitution. So when I hear this happening, sometimes I'm like, listen, stop chasing fires. Stop taking the bait. The big picture here is that CBDC is coming we're going to finish explaining that with wide awake jim how they're going to do it how they're going to push it through he's been looking at the infrastructure and trying to figure out how long we have which i find to be very important but with fdx i don't believe They need to really pass regulation to put CBDC into place. I do believe that this story then becomes meme-worthy, and it gets disseminated through all the personalized, choose-your-own-adventure feedback loop echo chambers that every single person who watches tv news or is on their phone all day on different social media platforms uh sees and now it becomes mainstream and certain of these terms enter the american lexicon so you can say this is the next enron it's the next bernie madoff however you want to frame it and so this gives the government the ability to now take control of cryptocurrency because they don't want any competing currencies out there folks i don't believe i've never believed that any form of cryptocurrency is free and clear of the government i don't believe that anything that's online is allowed to be online unless the government wants it to be online not to say that everyone on the internet all the information you read is all controlled they allow people like mike Moore to speak or me to speak or legal man to speak or maria albanese or wide awake jim and others or any of the other truly independent podcasts you listen to because we actually become part of the chaos they don't care if we're telling the truth so what if one 10, 20,000 people know the truth. They don't really care. They push forward with the lies anyway so they don't have to truly censor everything out there. But I do believe something like cryptocurrency was never allowed to exist unless it actually came from the government. I never believed the story that Bitcoin was created by some you know, philanthropic Japanese guy who was altruistic and he wanted to leave everyone with some system that was going to allow them to be free and clean of the government it was going to compete with fiat currency i just don't buy that story and it's frankly ridiculous um it's like the QAnon type of thing so i think this is what it is and the purpose is to drive it into the mainstream make people aware of it get people that are older to cheer on regulating it and then basically what happens is they can set a narrative to walk people into cbdc they can set this narrative that there's all these dangerous investments out out there. It's similar to the consumer protection advocates over the years like Ralph Nader, if you remember him. They really work for the big guys, and so they pretend they're protecting the consumer, but in fact, what they're doing is helping regulate the industry to monopolize and centralize control of particular industry sectors and markets. And so that's what I see this as, but I find it to be interesting. I know you guys are probably interested in it. So I'm going to bring Dan Golbach on to go into this because he has been digging deep into this story. He told me tonight he has a little more research to do before he's comfortable talking about it because he doesn't want to end up repeating anything that is not true. But I said, hey man, you've got 30, 40, 50 hours into researching this. You're looking into all the players, everything that's happened. I trust your research. So come on the show and we'll talk about it. And then that way I can clear it off my plate because to me, it's not a big deal in the big scheme of things. So I'll let Dan come on and talk about that. All right, so we can cross that off the list, folks. Now, something I'm going to get into tonight We're uh, working our way back into the document that we started to cover last night on eugenics. So I'm going to kind of tie up some of the connections between some of the players, because I had mentioned to you, we now have a technocracy, eugenics, which has turned into transhumanism. So we have technocracy, eugenics, and we also have the Federal Reserve System, which was started in 1913 under uh, Woodrow Wilson, the same year that we also implemented the income tax. And so we have this particular banker that Maria Albanese has been looking into connected to Howard Scott. So I'm just going to touch on that tonight and just try to tie together some of the connections. This is an ongoing research project, so I'm covering it here for you in the raw. I like to do that. I like to share with you what we are actually doing here behind the scenes and then give it to you as we're working on it. But I also want to talk a little bit about solutions right now as well. I want to start to always bring us back uh, to solutions, folks. Um, So we'll do that after the break. And then right now, what I want to do is I just want to bring something up here that we covered yesterday, because I was thinking about it last night when I was on the phone with Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays. And I had mentioned to her what we were talking about last night. And then I had a dream about this. And I was talking to Wide Awake Jim today, and I had mentioned to him. But if you remember from this piece, Retrospectives, and I have it up on the screen, it said, in in response, Patton. Now, Patton is one of the economists who was a eugenicist who inspired um – uh, Rexford guy Tugwell, who was the main thinker on FDR's brain trust that came up with the New Deal, which implemented many of the policies, really started to move technocracy into the mainstream, really began to socially engineer society into accepting technocracy without realizing that's exactly what they were doing. So this guy Patton helped inspire uh, Tugwell. And so it says, in response, Patton ultimately argued for the state taking over the task of selecting the fittest, eugenics. Quote, social progress is a higher law than equality, end quote. Patton uh, volunteered, and the only way to progress was the, quote, eradication of the vicious and inefficient, end quote. And so let's just look at what he said again, because this is very, very important. And this is not a standalone statement that was cherry-picked. If you read a lot of Patton's work, this is a running theme. This is also a running theme from technocrats of yesteryear and technocrats of today, as well as eugenicists of yesteryear and transhumanists of today, people like Yuval Noah Harari, that talks about us like useless humans and hackable animals. We have no soul. We have no free will. Uh, They say this right out in the open. So let's just look at that one more time. It says social progress is a higher law than equality, right? And he wanted to eradicate the vicious and the inefficient, right? The inefficient. And I've told you time and time again that that's what this is about. They view the human as being inefficient. The inefficient of today will become everyone tomorrow, right? So you may deem certain people to be inefficient, And other people may deem you to be inefficient. So whoever is in control gets to decide who is inefficient. And if you let the scientists and the engineers be in charge, they will eventually decide that everyone is inefficient. Because they will say the body is inefficient. The human engine, as the technocrats call it, is inefficient. I explained to you time and time again how the technocrats wrote about us as being highly inefficient. And that's why we've entered a point where they are working to genetically modify the human and at the same time replace us with robots and merge us with artificial intelligence because in their mind we're inefficient. But think about this. For someone to say, and they said these things publicly back then, and it's not strange because think about the things that Klaus Schwab or Yuval Noah Harari or Peter Thiel or jeff bezos or elon musk says publicly they say the same exact things social progress is a higher law than equality so social progress right is a higher law than equality so instead of us all being equal as humans these social engineers the prison planet wardens get to choose Uh, What should be higher in this tier, right? Now, you have to ask yourself something, and I brought this up to Maria and I brought it up to Wide Awake Jim. What I think makes these people so dangerous is that they truly believe that they are doing good. I believe that someone like this guy Patton would look in the mirror and believe the things he believed in are good. That it is for the embetterment of society that he believes that the ideas he has will make things equal in his eyes that he will make society a better place i don't think they look in the mirror and think that they are evil which is what actually makes them very dangerous and so i was talking to wide awake jim about adolf hitler and charles manson and jeffrey dahmer and i said to him do you think that these people believe they were good or believed that they were evil And so if they believe they were good, that makes them even more dangerous. And so Maria was talking to me about autism and weaponized autism that Steve Bannon was into perfecting. And so she said this guy who runs FTX, Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, these types are definitely all on the spectrum of that. And so she believes they may be manipulated. And then they're allowed to run these companies because they are brilliant, but they are manipulated into moving forward with policies that are actually evil, but they've been sort of manipulated into believing that they are good for humanity. And because the way their mind works, they aren't able to reconcile the difference between good or evil. I found it to be a fascinating conversation. And when she comes on the show, hopefully in the next couple of days, we're going to talk about that. And we're going to have a deep dive discussion on this. Now, if you have anyone in your family, if you yourself are autistic, I am not judging you. We're not doing that at all. I actually had two business associates that were autistic, fantastic people. They had Asperger's. I worked with them. Uh, But what she believes is some of these people put in positions of power are, in fact, autistic, or at least on the spectrum. And they are being manipulated into moving forward these policies. And I think when you look at this quote here, social progress is a higher law than equality. We need to focus on the eradication of the vicious and the inefficient. I mean, what type of person is willing to go out there and actually say that unless they truly believe That the policies that they're advocating for will do good, will do good. Maybe not good for all of humanity, but good for their family. Maybe cementing them into power forever. But you have to be a special type of person to go out and say that stuff. When I look at Yuval Noah Harari, I say, "Wow, that guy has balls to go out there and call us useless humans, and to call us hackable animals, and to say we have no spirit, we have no soul, we have no free will. Those days are over." I mean, what? Type of person believes they could go out in public and say that without getting hit in the head with a baseball bat. Well, Maybe they believe that what they're talking about is actually good, and that's what makes them feel like they could go out there and actually say it, folks. I mean, the ideas I have and you have and Wide Awake Jim has and Legal Man and Mike Moore and Maria Albanese, some people would think we're bad people, but we go out there and think that we are spreading good. Think about that, folks. It's confusing, but it's interesting to think about. I'll be right back. This Dust and Gold with the and Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. And this is pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks. Yeah, let me just continue with that thought for a moment. So I said to Wide Awake Jim, I mean, let's take Adolf Hitler. Just, Just based on the official narrative. I'm not going into history and breaking this apart. But on the official narrative, do you think that adolf hitler thought he was evil did he stand in front of a mirror and say i'm going to do very evil things or did he stand in front of the mirror and say i'm going to save uh the germans i'm going to save the aryan race whatever it is and so in his mind you know he thought he was doing good right and so he was willing to kill people willing to exterminate people willing to run experiments on people whatever it may be in order to reach this end, right? So he believed that the Uh, and justified the means right so maybe he thought he was doing good I said uh, Jim brought up Charles Manson I said I don't know I mean maybe Charles Manson really thought he was Jesus and he was doing good and whatever his twisted mind was saying again I'm talking about the official narrative we're not breaking this down into you know all the real stuff that occurred but do you think he thought he was good he said well what about Jeffrey Dahmer I said no I don't know because Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't really leading a group of people he wasn't really leading a cult you know he just lured young men to his house drugged them killed them and then ate them so maybe he looked in the mirror every day saying to himself uh i'm an evil dude i probably have some problems i don't know folks i don't know it's something interesting to think about though but when i see them say social progress is a higher law than equality it, they must believe there's something good in that, the eradication of the vicious and the inefficient. So they want to go out there and just, you know, kill everyone they deem to be criminals you know outside the norms of society and then everyone else who just is inefficient at work like so if you have a guy who's not good at stocking shelves at the grocery store you just bring him out in an alleyway and shoot him in the head i mean this is the way these guys thought and so it's something to think about because if they believe they are good and they don't believe they are evil then they're actually more dangerous than you could even imagine folks All right, let me talk about solutions real quick because I was texting back and forth with Dan Golvach today and the work he was doing on FTX and we were talking quickly because Dan gets frustrated sometimes and he's in his, I think, late 50s Uh, he's got some health issues and stuff that's been going on for years and he takes care of himself and he goes out hiking and he goes out shooting his guns and everything Uh, he's very active he goes out, he plays his uh, guitar plays his music he performs at venues uh for a living he's always out there doing his thing ladies and gentlemen but he was talking about wanting to continue to spread the word uh even if he wakes up a few people he'd give his life to be able to do that he wants to warn people like his son he wants to warn people like my son he wants to make a difference and so I said to him, we've slowly been talking about solutions on the Dust and Gold Standard. I'm working on some solution shows coming up. A friend of mine, Farmer Carol, who we buy a lot of our vegetables from to supplement our own gardens, she's going to come on the show. I just saw her today. So her season, she said, finally wraps up last week of uh, December. And then she's going to come on and do a show all about gardening with human, um, in line with nature, uh, farming in line with nature. And then she's going to come on in the spring when she has the farm back up and running. And I'm going to do a video walkthrough, and she's going to show us how she had set up her homestead farm, which is going to be quite interesting. These are all part of solutions. But I said to Dan... I'm going to work on a series of solution discussions with Mike Moore, Maria Albanese, hopefully Legal Man, Wide Awake Jim, and hopefully some of you will join in. But there's really only a few things that could be done now. One, you could keep spreading the gospel, right? Keep going out there and talking to people about this stuff. Try to further educate those that are interested in this. Some of the folks that you know that may be willing to be woken up, wake them up to this. Uh, the other thing that's the most important right now is beginning to insulate yourself so if we truly believe that cbdc is coming a carbon credit based cbdc you have to think seriously about any investments you have today whether you have money tied up in 401ks iras uh stocks things of that nature a bunch of money sitting in a checking account or savings account because that's the stuff that um I think is in danger. Now, I, I'm not in finance. I'm not in investments. I can't give out advice. Wide awake Jim, he's in the... Uh uh, royalties, the oil and gas royalties business, but he can't technically give out advice on what to do with your money. And there's not one person who's going to be able to tell you what to do because everybody's in a different situation. But I would say the run-of-the-mill financial advisors at Charles Schwab and such probably aren't looking out for your best interest. So you have to start to think about what you're going to do with this money because God forbid the government does seize it or they do tell you they're going to trade it in for CBDC. You know, you're going to get 70% of the value back in CBDC or whatever. If you had turned that stuff into tangible assets, and all of us are in different situations, but I think if you're running on the mindset, because I'm not anymore, that Yours, like If I'm 41, so if I'm like, listen, I'm saving uh, this amount towards my retirement, and it's making X amount of uh, return, X percentage of return in my 401k, and I'm going to have this amount of money when I'm 67 years old, and then I'm going to get my Social Security check, and by that time I'll own my property outright, and then I'm going to sell that, and then I'm going to move to Disney World and play golf for the rest of my life. I mean, I think if you're operating on that, model that's probably not good i think you have to start to think differently now you know you have to start to think is it worth getting a big piece of property you're going to invest in if you have some cash is it worth buying some guns and ammo something you can use and or trade later you know if you bought if you had a big garage and you bought 10,000 cases of water that are three dollars and fifty cents today well if inflation continues to rise can you sell those to your neighbors for six dollars next year and at least be able to keep up with inflation can you get a bunch of goods that you can store and then use to barter with for other goods like so if you're in this organic farmer network that we put ourselves in here you can barter and trade with people farmer Carol does this all the time. So she might grow figs, and then she gives the figs to another farmer who has the ability to turn those into some sort of a jam, and then she might get back 25% of the fig jam and trade for the figs she gave them. So you have to start to think creatively about this stuff. So I think you have to try to figure out how you're going to insulate yourself. If you just had kids, right, like I just did, you need to be planning for in 5 years from now homeschooling your kid starting to do research on that now never planning on putting the kid into daycare or putting it into pre-K or putting it into the public indoctrination system i think you have to plan ahead for that kind of stuff if you have a baby on the way maybe you do what we did start looking at a midwife or a doula doing a home birth staying out of the rockefeller medical industrial complex so these are all things that you can do in your personal life start to downsize, downsize and pay off debt. You know, I just started looking again today at some properties out in West Virginia because one of our midwives was over and she bought five years ago with her husband in a really good area in West Virginia. So she's not too far from civilization, but they got three acres with, uh, you know, a 1,500 square foot 1950s house. They bought it for $150,000. They doubled the size of the house did some repairs, cleaned up the yard. They've got a total of less than 300 into this thing. And so around here where I live, 45 minutes from where she is, if you bought a three-level townhouse, like literally a row home connected to fifty homes on either side, they're like seven hundred thousand dollars. So you can start to look to make moves. Let's say you're in a McMansion type suburb, and you can sell your house still for five, six, seven hundred, and be able to then go buy three, four, five, ten acres out in West Virginia, Western PA, Tennessee, somewhere, something like that, for half the money and that don't have a big McMansion, like build a regular little house, and then you'll have some cash in your pocket. So there's some things like that you can start to do to insulate yourself and put your cash into things like property, something you can actually utilize. Because if you take your money out of the bank, people ask me all the time, should I do that and bury it in my backyard? Well, you could take a $100,000 right now, put it in a box and bury it in your backyard. But if one year from Now, inflation renders that $100,000 down to $75,000 in buying power. You just lost 25% of that money that you hid in your backyard. So you have to start thinking creatively. You have to start thinking about this. And you also have to realize that the rug pull is coming at some point. At some point, they're going to pull the rug, and there isn't going to be a recovery. So if you had your money tied up in Tesla stock because you believed that was going to boom and all of a sudden now it's down, you have to say, are you going to operate off the old mindset and say, let me ride this out for another three, four, five years and it's going to come back? Or are you eventually going to just cut your losses, take that money that you have and put it into something else? Those are the things I believe you need to start thinking about. The other thing would be starting to learn a skill if you don't have one that you could use in an off-the-grid, half-Amish fashion. So if you're a computer programmer, right, maybe you want to start to learn how to be a gunsmith, or maybe you want to learn how to do blacksmithing, or maybe you want to learn how to smoke meats or churn butter, or learn a skill that if we end up off-the-grid, or you end up in a half-Amish-type community, or you want to be able to barter on the side in a black market, If CBDC comes into effect, you actually have a skill that's not something that's like a technological skill that you can only sell inside of the matrix. So these are the kind of things you can start to do in your own personal life folks that's what I would be thinking about that's what I'm personally thinking about in between this show is how can I build a set of skills that I could use outside of the system God forbid they just come in and they shut all the podcasts down and I can't get web design work because none of that matters anymore okay well what am I going to do now I have some skills I could fall back on but some things I need to perfect I need to practice so I may start working those into my daily routine, spending a half hour, an hour a day starting to perfect some of these skills. So if I decide to move out to West Virginia to an area where maybe I could barter with people, nobody's going to care about me building them a website. But if I say, hey, I've got a huge smoker, I know how to smoke Polish kielbasa, and you have pigs so if you give me 500 pounds of pork i will turn it into 500 pounds of kibasa, and i get to keep a hundred pounds of that you know things like that that you can actually do in barter and that kibasa i get now becomes food for my family I don't need the cash. I don't need to make money in website work to get those food coupons, those dollars or that CBC CBDC token in order to buy food because I just got my food by trading with somebody, by bartering with somebody. So start to think like that. I know it's difficult and sometimes it feels disheartening because you're starting to admit defeat, but it's not really defeat. Start to think about this is actually true freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back this Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv slash gold.
0: You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on TV. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. And this is Payne.tv slash gold. All right, folks. So as we're talking about solutions, and I'm just going to talk a little bit more about this because it's the weekend and we got to have a little bit of hope here, but we have to be realistic about what our options are. You know, what our solutions are going to be to these problems that we face, folks. And so the first one, as I said, is educate, right? Educate as many people around you as you can. Only the ones who want to be educated, though. Don't bang your head against the wall trying to educate people that don't want to be educated. Otherwise, it's you're just wasting your time. You're wasting your energy. All right, number two, insulate, right? So begin to insulate yourself. Figure out the things you can do, uh, how you can start to uh, take your uh, investments out of certain places that are riskier, figure out when the rug pull is coming, and if you should just... Cut your losses, get out, move that money around, figure out if you should put your money into more tangible, more physical objects that maybe you could barter, you could sell later on, stuff that's going to keep up with inflation and hold its value. So educate and insulate. The third one is separate. All right, start to think about separating yourself from the rest of society. I'm talking about these highly populated areas. If you live in a city, you know, in an urban area, even in a densely populated uh, suburb, uh, as I mentioned earlier, under insulate, maybe start to think about, can you sell your house? Uh, Even if you're renting, can you move out to a more rural area and rent a house out there? Uh, The situation I'm in right now because of my divorce. I'm still sort of recovering and rebuilding from that situation. I rented a house really on the outskirts of suburban into rural area. The next move is to get a piece of property in a more rural area, the piece of property we have in Poland that's very rural. So begin to figure out how to separate yourself from these highly populated areas because I don't believe that there is ever going to be an armed revolution against the system because I don't believe there's enough people that even understand what's actually going on. I don't believe there's people that actually understand we're under a technocracy. The culture is technocracy. They've socially engineered us into technocracy, that there will ever be enough people and that those people could actually organize to revolt against the system. What I'm talking about is if the elites, because they are very intelligent, and they move at a snail's pace. But if they want to provoke an armed revolution or they want to provoke armed chaos, they can very well do that. And you don't want to necessarily be in a densely populated area when that goes down, folks. So start to think about separate. Can you move out to a big piece of land? Maybe you can work a deal. There's farmers that actually will let you come and live on their property. There's some websites where you can find these types things. Type of opportunities if you're younger if you're single and you're looking for a way to get out of the city you know can you work remotely uh if you can't at your current job can you find another job that lets you work remotely take advantage of covid land the high school theater production figure out how to work remotely my wife she works for a law firm she's been there a number of years and when covid land happened she went remote She did a really good job. Her boss ended up saying, hey, you never have to come back to the office. So she has talked to her boss. Uh, When she she moved here, she's like an hour away from her office. He basically told her she can go anywhere she wants. So um, that's a great thing. They're a young couple that owns this law firm. As long as regulations and laws don't change in the area she's in, she's safe for a job for quite a long time. When I decided what I was going to do, coming out of the divorce I had always worked for myself, but I decided when I moved here that I wasn't going to start a business that started building a customer base in this area. I wanted to do something that allowed me to be remote and I could go anywhere in the world and do my job. So for instance, if this podcast is successful, then I could be in Poland. I can be anywhere and do the podcast. I don't have to be locked into one area because I don't have a physical office or I don't have customers I have to meet with within a 50-mile radius. So start to think that way. Can you use your skills and start a consulting business that you can operate online or something like that? Something where you can separate yourself from these highly densely populated areas. So educate, insulate, separate. And number four is congregate, right? So one of the things I'm going to have a series of conversations about is the possibility. And I'm not saying let's do this tomorrow some of you actually already emailed me and told me you'd be interested but at some point there would have to be someone who wants to take charge of a project like this but congregate would be instead of you or me or any of us going out and buying 3, 4, 10, 20, 50 acres out in the middle of West Virginia and trying to set up a homestead all by ourselves. Some people can't do that. You know, I've talked to friends at the show that just say, I'm 65 years old. I can't go be a farmer right now. I don't want to learn farming. I would love to live in that type of community. I'd love to buy food from the farmers, but I can't be a farmer. I'm not going to go learn how to do that at 65 years old. So there are ideas about congregating and setting up sort of a breakaway civilization I call it a half Amish community I had an idea at the beginning of COVID Land the High School Theater production when I was in Tennessee and I started having to do gig work there that's when I ran around and did Instacart and so I was delivering out in the suburbs of Nashville and I saw all these big huge golf course communities they were a huge thing 25 30 years ago well i started doing research on them and found out that they started dying off the last 10 years and they've been having trouble keeping them up because young people or younger people move into those subdivisions and then they refuse to pay the hoa fees the homeowners association fees on the golf courses and so the golf courses end up Getting run down. So, certain developers over the years would try to buy up these. Uh, subdivisions they come in make offers to buy all the homes and then they renovated them and turn them into active living communities where they put walking trails and a yoga center really trendy stuff right so I had this idea about what about one that's a community built around a sustainable farm so you bring in someone like my friend Farmer Carol Who comes in and turns the whole entire golf course, all that public property, into a giant organic farm. And then everyone who buys, let's say there's 200 houses in this subdivision. And everyone who buys a house ends up owning a piece of the farm. And then they would get a share of all the vegetables, the fruits, the uh, meat that comes off of that farm. If they didn't want it, they could basically push it back into the community pot and make some money off of it. And so if you could end up generating 70, 80% of the food that you consume off of this farm that's managed you know, within this community, it's inside this community, but you don't necessarily have to go out and farm, but you can get access to it and you own a share of it because you own a house inside this community, right? So it's not David Crash because it's not Dustin owning it and you coming and living uh, on my property. You actually own a piece of the property and you own a piece of the farm. So I had mentioned it a couple of times to Farmer Carol, then had a conversation with her about it today. And she said there's actually some properties out in California that operate this way. She's going to talk about them on the show. So, <laughs> And she said it's a really good idea, and she said if you were actually talking about a golf course-style community renovated into a sustainable farm community, she said let's say there was 200 homes, not only would you be able to supply 80% of what the people that live there consume for food, you know, because you're obviously not making Cheerios and Twinkies. If you want those, you have to go to the store and buy them. She said you can also generate more food and actually sell that food out, like through a farmer's market or sell it through a stand and actually generate additional income that would go back to the people that actually live inside of that community. So I'm going to do a series of shows. There's a developer I know that I'm going to bring on and talk about this, some finance people, some real estate people, Farmer Carol, but it's one of these type of projects where you would have to spend your time actually putting this together. Very similar if some of you have talked to or listened to The Hotwire with Wide Awake Jim where he talked about the oil and gas royalties you know that's his business he knows how to acquire mineral rights to properties and then how to break that up and break the deeds up and then sell the deeds uh, to people as investments you'd actually have to build this as a business now i don't think what would happen let's say there was a hundred um families that were interested in this. I just don't think it could be ruled by committee. Every project that I've worked on as a creative in my career, every time something is ruled by committee, it just never gets done. So I'd see this as someone who's sort of a developer mindset, who says, let's build it, they put the plans together, and then they have to have the financing to go out and buy the property, if it's a raw piece of land, or they have to have the money to go make offers and buy out the subdivision, and then basically Start to uh, pitch it and sell people pieces of property. But I think that's a very good idea. So that's educate, right? Insulate, separate, and congregate. And then the final one that I want to talk about is accelerate. And I think we have to put our foot on the accelerator. These guys, for some reason, are coming at us at warp speed, just like Donald Trump's Operation Warp Speed, Operation Warp Speed. Well, warp speed is real. For some reason they are trying to accelerate and so we have to accelerate so you have to accelerate your education of others accelerate insulating yourself accelerate your plan for separation and accelerate your ideas for congregation if you want to start to think about building some kind of a community where a bunch of us could move to and say hey we're going to do this uh, giant sort of I don't want to say a commune but this big community owned uh development this community-owned farm so we have to step on the accelerator that's why i've been doing one show a day seven days a week for the last couple of months short of taking those five days off because i'm accelerating my content because i think i need to talk more about this stuff right now there has to be someone who's willing to talk about this uh 14 hours a week and i am upping this i'm going to be doing more shows more interviews more specials because we need to get the word out there folks so my plan right now is one educate two insulate three separate four congregate and five accelerate and these are the basics for real world solutions instead of us just dreaming and hoping and praying we have to start to do something and you have to recognize that the rug pull is coming and that these people are coming for everything so we can't stop they like Keep up this mindset that everything is just going to fix itself, that we're going to go back to normal. No, we're in the new normal, we're in Build Back Better, we're in the Great Reset, we're in the fourth industrial revolution, and we're under a technocracy. The culture is already here. They've socially engineered the majority of people, the vast majority of people, 99.9% of people into technocracy. And even people that believe they're woke to all of this, whether they come from the right or come from the left, they're not really, folks. They don't understand what is actually happening to us. So, again, educate, insulate, separate, congregate. And accelerate. So, ladies and gentlemen, think about that over the break because I think it is very valuable and it's very realistic. It's a realistic little plan that you can start off with as you start to think about these things and how you're going to make changes in your life. And if you have ideas, feel free to reach out to me at gold at pain.tv or join pain.tv slash gold and DM me there and say that you want to come on the show and talk about some of the solutions. Solutions that you are coming up with in your personal life. Think about it in the context of educate, insulate, separate, congregate, and most important, accelerate. It's time to put your foot on the gas, folks. I'll be right back. This is and Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold.
0: More listening to the Dust and Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. Gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.TV.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold and this is Pain.TV slash gold. One other thing I'll add to that, folks. I think uh, it was when we were reading about eugenics, and they were talking about... I, I think the term they used was like negative eugenics and positive eugenics. Well, I have to look at that again. It's just slipping my mind. And one was basically... Uh, trying to breed what they seem to be better humans the fit humans and that would be sort of the positive eugenics and then basically sterilizing or killing the unfit folks the ones they deem to be unfit which would be like a negative eugenics so start to think of solutions in a positive and negative sense so positive would be for instance learning a skill like gunsmithing that you could use in an off-the-grid, half-Amish community, and then think about the negative is the stuff you could start to remove from your life, the things you could start to get rid of that you don't need that feed the technocracy, like Amazon Ring cameras, Fitbits, watches. Uh, 10 uh, smart TVs in your house, the BMW payment, stuff like that. Start to think about the things you can eliminate, all the money you'd be able to save and all the smart tech you're not inviting into your life that's helping build the AI and helping build the technocracy as Elon Musk and others in that world will admit to, that every interaction we have with the Internet of Things, the Internet of Bodies, smart technology, we are actually helping them build the super intelligent you know artificial intelligence so think about it in those terms start to make lists of things you can actually remove i've talked about various smart objects and how these guys sell you perceived convenience but you're actually trading your own freedom liberty and human autonomy for these things so really think about that stuff folks you say to yourself i'm driving around in a brand new car it's got a gps built into it computers i'm tied to having to bring it to the dealership to get to tuned up, um, they're tracking me everywhere I go and you say, listen, if I got rid of this new car and I bought an older car in really good shape from one owner, maybe an old person that owned it and they only put 30,000 miles on the thing over 10 years, they're out there folks and you say, I bought that in cash for five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 even and then I don't have this car payment, I don't have that debt and I'm not tied. To these uh, folks, I can take this and go register it through Dirt Legal or something in South Dakota, and I'm pretty much off the grid with my car. Those are the things you could think about. These are real solutions. There's no other solutions than these real ones, okay? Because any fiction that you have running through your head that there's going to be a massive January 6th and that we're going to overthrow, you know, the Washington, D.C. politician, WWE wrestler puppets, and some somehow restore America, which nobody even knows what that means. We focused on that over the last 10 episodes in the show. We are not America from the founding. So you'd have to actually sit there and say, well, I want to restore it back to 1950 okay so you want the new deal in place because that was in place you want the social security number in place because that was in place or we want to bring it back to 1920 okay so you want the federal reserve in place alright well Dustin we want to bring it back to 1900 okay well you had civil war before that centralizing power so you have to be realistic about what you're trying to restore and going to Washington on horseback with pitch four shovels and shotguns really isn't going to accomplish anything because no one has a plan like if we can't come up with a plan together on how to get a hundred families to figure out how we can throw in a hundred two hundred thousand dollars each and build a half Amish community with this sustainable farm everyone owns a slice of property in this development and then maybe on the other side of the development there's a big shared work center with internet And that's where we go live inside the matrix and do our work to make our cbdc tokens or our food coupons or fiat money if we can't come up with that and figure out how to build that with a hundred families how the hell do you think you're going to overthrow a country of 370 million people and restore it back to something that you can't even define you don't even know what it looks like because if you really wanted to restore it, thousands upon thousands of laws and regulations and institutions and uh, cultural changes and everything would just have to be eliminated. You'd only be able to do that by going back in a time machine. There's no way to do it. The only way to go back in a time machine is to actually break away from the rest of this system and to build your own community. Now, yes, you're still going to have to deal with. With federal laws and state laws and local laws because you're not living outside the country, but you can build a system that allows you a lot more security in your day-to-day life. You can do that. You know, we could build an old schoolhouse there, and all the kids in that community could be homeschooled, you know, and don't have to be part of the public education system. These are real solutions. But, again, if you can't do that, you're not going to organize an armed revolution and go into Washington, D.C., and that wouldn't even do you any good because you'd also have to go – and take out Huntsville, Alabama, you'd have to take out Silicon Valley, you'd have to take out Hollywood. I mean, there's so many major institutions that have changed the culture in this country that even if you did that, it would actually not accomplish Anything, So I think it's a waste of time to talk about stuff like that. And there's people out there who want to provoke podcast hosts, researchers, independent journalists into talking about that stuff, which is only going to get them in trouble. It's only going to make the government come knock on their door. And in the end, it's not worth that trouble because it actually won't accomplish anything. If you can't get people to do what wide awake Jim has been saying, which is take your money out of these big, uh, federal government attached banks and move them into the last of the small private banks and get out of these fdic back connected banks if you can't get people to do that you're not going to get people to uh lay down their uh blood you know, to go charge into Washington, D.C. And now that we're talking about banks, let me segue into this, folks, because I'm going to move away from solutions. We have to get back to the history of eugenics, and we're going to talk about this over the next couple of episodes. I just want to introduce you to a character tonight. Maria Albanese is doing some work on this gentleman. Because what we're starting to see here, folks, and what I'm starting to see as I lay this out, It's kind of like uh, doing a a floor plan, and you have several pieces of tracing paper, and so you draw the floor plan, and then... Uh, You draw sort of the outline of the room or the house, and then you want to overlay a piece of tracing paper that shows where you're putting all the furniture, and then you overlay on top of that where you're putting, I don't know, your smart TVs, and then you keep building layer after layer after layer. And so I'm starting to see this overlap of the origins of technocracy, the origins of eugenics, uh, coming together with Franklin Roosevelt, uh, his brain trust that developed The New Deal. And then we've got the Federal Reserve. Quite interesting. Started in 1913. At the time that was going on. Eugenics was there. The early ideas of technocracy were beginning to form. And so I'm seeing the Fed and transhumanism or eugenics and technocracy all kind of coming together. And behind each of these was also socialism, communism, progressivism, Marxism, eventually fascism. And so then we see these elements of technocracy being introduced under the new deal, the new deal comes from what? The problem of the Great Depression. Where did the problem of the Great Depression come on? In part from the Federal Reserve raising interest rates to try to lower the price of stocks. Right? We're part of the reason why the Great Depression happened. So you had the Federal Reserve orchestrating the Great Depression which then led to the introduction of the New Deal which had all of these elements of technocracy embedded inside of it and both the New Deal and technocracy were formed under Columbia University. See all this stuff ties together and then we have these characters like uh, Rexford Guy Tugwell, we have uh, Thorstein Veblen, Howard Scott, Scott nearing, uh, Simon Patton. And then this guy right here, Frank Vanderlip. So let me just introduce you to him. This is Frank Vanderlip and, his full name, Frank Arthur Vanderlip Sr., and he was born in 1917, uh, I'm sorry, November 17th, 1864, and he died on June 30th, 1937. And he was an American banker and journalist. He was president of the National Citibank of New York, which is now Citibank. Uh, From 1909 to 1919, an assistant secretary of the treasury from 1897 to 1901, Vanderlip is known for his part in founding the Federal Reserve System and for founding the first Montessori school in the United States, the Scarborough School, and the group of communities in Palos Verdes, California. He was born in rural Illinois. Vanderlip worked in farms and factories until beginning a career in journalism in 1885. His efforts in financial journalism led him to become Assistant Secretary of the Treasury until National City Bank hired him. While president of the bank, Vanderlip worked with the Jekyll Island Group to develop a Federal Reserve. Vanderbilt's later proposals also influenced the creation of the Federal Reserve System in 1913. So Maria Albanese has been doing a lot of research into Jekyll Island, and so we'll be talking about that soon. Vanderlip, uh later life was focused towards developing Palos Verdes and creating the Scarborough School at his estate, Beachwood, in Briarcliff Manor, New York, as well as gentrifying the hamlet of Sparta. Ossining thereby. In addition, he helped found and was the first president of Sleepy Hollow Country Club. Vanderlip died in 1937 in New York Hospital after weeks of treatment there. So you ask ask me, well, why are we talking about this guy, Frank Vanderlip? And I'm gonna show you where he came up in our research because we're going to be covering him throughout the next few shows. He's another character I'm introducing to you he comes out of the banking side of all this remember now we're seeing the eugenicists tied to the economy side they're the economists. you have the technocrats coming from the scientists and engineers but their ideas overlap the eugenicists believe we need to social uh socially engineer genetically engineer the humans and then the technocrats believe we need total control over society and we'll do that through mass social engineering And then you're going to have the bankers behind the plan because every plan needs to be funded, folks. You don't think that Howard Scott was sitting there writing thousands of pages of documents on the origins of technocracy all by himself. What do you think? He was picking quarters out of his couch cushions and funding the technocracy movement? No, these guys got funding somewhere. So let me introduce you to Frank Vanderlip when we get back. Ladies and gentlemen, I am to Gold with the Dust Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold.
0: You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Folks, feel free to leave us a five-star review over at Apple Podcasts and a comment. We really appreciate that. If you folks like to donate to the show, you can do so at donorbox.org slash Gold Show. And if you want me to use that to buy new equipment or to keep the lights on here or to put food on my table or to put it in an account for my son, just leave a comment and I will do that, folks. You have to trust me. I'm transparent on all this stuff. I'm not using it to buy methamphetamine or anything like that, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Um, I want to show you something that we came across. So we start doing research on Frank uh, Vanderlip because we were deep into Howard Scott, the founder of Technocracy Incorporated. And so we come across the time.com. It's Time Magazine, these old archives. And so from Monday, April 17th, 1933... We find this piece here. It says, Frank Arthur Vanderlip was once president of Manhattan's National City Bank. Again, that's 1909 to 1919. And like the two presidents who succeeded him, James Alexander Stillman and Charles Edwin Mitchell, he is no stranger to headline writers. In January 1931, he made headlines with the assertion that the 1,000 bank failures of 1930 was caused by a lack of, quote, adult education for bankers, end quote, that the Depression was a, quote, strange and stupid spectacle, end quote. In February 1931, he had his picture taken with a rare species of crane in his private aviary in the Palos Verdes Hills near Los Angeles. In February 1931, on the day that Auburn's stock touched 205 after a rise over 100 points in six weeks, he said, quote, The last Auburn stock I bought was at 105. I am a large owner and have been for a long time. My position has been and is only that of a darn long-time investor. That was last week Auburn sold around 34 Says in December 1931, he predicted, "quote We will see a greater prosperity than anything we have ever seen yet." End quote. In 1932, he became an ardent backer of Howard Scott and technocracy, which made a thousand headlines. His name also helped architect Buckminster Fuller publicize the visionary uh, DiMaxium House. In So there you go. Howard Scott and technocracy, right? He became an ardent backer of Howard Scott. Now, I tie this guy, Vanderlip, back to technocracy way earlier than 1932, which we're going to get into on another show. But I just want to give you a little more on him. It says in June 1932, he told the graduating class at Scarborough School, um, a Scarborough on Hudson near his home, that history was not properly taught. He had a right to do so. A year later, he presented the school with a deed of gift to the school building and property. In 1932, he rushed in as a master of Eret loben Cord's proxy fight to gain control of Aviation Corps. You know, so this guy has done all types of things, right? So we go further into the Time Archive and we pull up an earlier article. And this is from Monday, December 26th, 1932. And what we find here, folks, is uh let me see it says just when the country was most despairing of being run by an engineer in the white house there emerged in new york a movement a new ism to have the country run by all its three hundred thousand engineers and technical experts technocracy was the new isms name and its proponents styled themselves technocrats headquartered at columbia university they announced that employing three dozen unemployed engineers architects and draftsmen they were conducting an quote energy survey of America end quote I taught you about that that's when they went out and figured out how much energy it takes to basically produce everything in the entire country all the goods all the services startling was their array of statements about technological unemployment mankind's machines destroying mankind's chance to earn a living quote under the present price system end quote as preliminary fireworks they expounded such statistics as these now remember Remember, Technocracy Inc. at the time was talking about ending the price system. The price system is capitalism, all right? And they want to replace it with an energy certificate system. And so for those of you who missed the discussions on this, I'll just sum it up for you. They went out and they figured out how much energy it takes to produce all the goods and services in. They wanted to basically create the Technate, which is a new country going from the Panama Canal all the way up to the North Pole, essentially. And so... Then they were going to take all that energy and then equally divide it up. So each person between the age of 25 and 45, they would call the working age, was going to get, say, 20,000 energy certificates. It would be equal. Everyone gets the same thing. People over 45 get a little bit less. People under 25 get less. But everyone pretty much gets this equal allotment. So instead of spending cash, you're trading in energy certificates, the amount of energy you're consuming. Which later has become carbon credits, which will be part of the central bank digital currency. And so this guy, Howard Scott and Technocracy Incorporated are out there talking against the price system against capitalism. But who is one of their most ardent supporters? It's Frank Vanderlip, who helped create the Federal Reserve System. He's a banker. So the bankers are behind the idea of ending capitalism, although you will have propagandists generally from the left in the last 30 years in this country telling you that the bankers are the evil capitalists, when in fact the bankers, the biggest bankers ever, the people behind the Federal Reserve here in this country, were actually behind the ideas of technocracy, the science of social engineering, the total control, the systematic control of the production of goods and services, And the distribution of such also tied into the eugenics movement, which was the engineering of humans, basically creating these super breed humans and then erasing the unfit humans, eliminating them from the gene pool. So the bankers now you have showing up behind this, but you can find bankers behind almost every major movement in the history of our entire country if not everyone, You would have bankers let's just say in the categories we're talking about, you can show the bankers behind socialism, communism, Marxism, progressivism, fascism, conservatism, liberalism. You can find the bankers behind all of the isms. So it is a WWE wrestling match, but I told you the top 1% are interested in power and control. So follow the power and control. If you want to follow the money, you can then see how they get the whole system to run, how they socially engineer people into adopting the system actually helping build the system of total control they do that through bribery all the way down to what we'd call a paycheck and that's how they get the regular folks get us to be part of actually helping them build the system so let's just look at this list of four things it said total capacity of u.s industrial equipment is one billion horsepower which does the work of 10 billion men or five times the earth's total population on the basis of a Uh, 1,830 methods, 6 million men would have been needed to cultivate the soil for the 1929 oh, I'm sorry folks, I read that wrong, it says on the basis of 1830, the year, methods, okay 16 million men would have been needed to cultivate the soil for the 1929 United States wheat crop, with the best existing equipment, 4,000 men could have planted the whole crop if every structure on Manhattan Island were destroyed and the entire community rebuilt with the latest inventions, the reconstruction would pay for itself in 20 years. A new machine for making light bulbs produces 442 bulbs a minute, replaces 10,000 men. Such statistics are not new. The late Thorstein Veblen, All right, we've talked about him before, he helped inspire Howard Scott and Rexford Guy Tugwell, who was the man behind FDR's brain trust that created the New Deal. So the late Thorstein Veblen recited similarly as early as 1921 when he published The Engineers and the Price System Economist. Stuart Chase, Veblen's friend, has been writing similarly since. But last summer, a tall middle-aged man named Howard Scott, with a wide-brimmed hat and a prodigiously rapid sharp agile tongue was being received and handed around by alert tycoons notably banker frank arthur vanderlip from one drawing room and dinner to another he moved everywhere causing gasps of amazement scowls of worry questions of deep and inquiring respect so now you have vanderlip here who's actually bringing Howard Scott around and introducing him folks and so i found more information actually backing this up that we're going to get into again in future shows but i want to use tonight because it's saturday to introduce you to frank vanderlip all right and so if you go back to the wikipedia page you can go through his entire career he was highly influential involved with a lot of different projects the most important of which and i'm going to read this to you because i think you need to understand uh, Um, what this guy was doing here it says when the stock market and the financial system collapsed in the panic of 1907 vanderlip worked closely with other stable bankers led by jp morgan to stop the depositors run on banks that was leading to economic disaster so what's that doing the panic comes you and i run down to the bank to try to get our money out and this guy is trying to stop us from getting our money As part of an international economic relief response for the Panic of 1907, Vanderlip allied with top Japanese business leaders, hoping they could work together to stabilize the U.S. economy by increasing business and financial relations between their nations. He hoped this would also improve political relations between the U.S. and Japan. Based on these goals, in 1908, Vanderlip led a business U.S. delegation to Japan, where they met with Japanese business leaders, including Baron Shibusawa Elichi, Baron Shibusawa's son, Shibusawa Masao, Baron Takuma Dan Takakawada, and Baron Takimi Mitsu. Now, folks, I'm a quarter Japanese. My grandmother, my late grandmother, is from Japan, but no, I cannot pronounce these names. It goes on to say, this 1908 visit was the first official modern-day U.S. business delegation to visit Japan. The 1908 photo to the right uh, presents Vanderlip during the 1908 visit. So there's a photo of him. It says, the panic of 1907 had a deep effect on the thinking of Vanderlip and others who were involved. In November 10, uh, I'm sorry, November 1910, at the invitation of Senator Nelson Aldrich Vanderlip joined a small group of leading bankers on a train to Jekyll Island Georgia which later became known as the Jekyll Island group the bankers formulated the outline to a plan that laid the groundwork for the drafting of the eventual Federal Reserve Act in the final month and a half before the acts enactment on December uh, for the drafting uh, on December 23rd 1913 Vanderlip's alternative plan for a Federal Reserve Reserve Act nearly derailed the one that President Wilson and the Democrat leadership were promoting. Several of Vanderlip's ideas were incorporated into the final Federal Reserve Act. So we're going to actually start to go through some of this stuff in future shows because it's very important. This guy Vanderlip, who then becomes sort of this uh, money guy behind technocracy, was in the founding of the Federal Reserve at the same time eugenics and everything else was building out of the movement of Economist goes on to say, after the Federal Reserve Act allowed national banks worth more than one million dollars to be involved in the international market, Vanderlip and his vice president at National City Bank, Roger Leslie Farnham, plotted the takeover of the Bank of the Republic of Haiti through the United States occupation of Haiti. With initial plans beginning in 1909, Vanderlip wrote to Chairman of National City Bank James Stillman in 1910. "Quote: In the future, this stock will give up." A foothold in Haiti, and I think we will perhaps later undertake the reorganization of the government's currency system, which I believe I see my way clear to do with the practicality no monetary risk, uh, to do with practically no monetary risk. During the Teapot Dome scandal hearings in 1924, Vanderlip testified about what he believed to be a scandal during the administration of President Warren G. Harding. Because he spoke out vigorously in defense of the public's right to know about various issues, Vanderlip was forced to resign from the boards of directors of almost 40 companies. He subsequently led a uh, quieter life at his homes in New York and California. After two weeks hospitalization in New York Hospital, Vanderlip died there on June 30th, 1937 at age 72. So, anyway... You can see this guy is involved in some pretty dirty stuff. They're taking over Haiti, wanted to take over the monetary system. So this guy is going to turn out to be very instrumental in our research into technocracy and into eugenics. So this is how we're going to start to bring the banks into this, folks. Federal Reserve, major change in this country. 1913, it has not gone away since. You know, they created an entire uh, money system that just drives us into debt and piles debt on top of our children. Frankly, in my eyes, it means absolutely nothing. But because the majority of people have faith in the system, then the debt on my child, on your child, on our future great, 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 great children is real because reality is only perception. And if people perceive that to be the reality, that is the reality. So they've created debt slaves out of all of us. That's just one tiny part in this entire system, but they're going to start to offer us alternatives. To get out of it. And part of it is going to be universal basic income. It's going to be central bank digital currency. All this stuff ties together, folks. It's unraveling the real history of our country, the history that no one knows, nor do they want to talk about? Because it bursts their bubble, it bursts their worldview, it bursts their normalcy bias, and that is very painful. But right here on the Dustin Gold Standard, I've said it before, this is not the red pill, this is not the blue pill, this is not the black pill, this is not the white pill. This is the gold pill. It is understanding the truth and then beginning to change your life. And to go through now this list, I presented for the first time tonight, to educate, insulate, separate, congregate, and accelerate in the solutions that you are going to put together in your life to be able to live one foot outside of this hellhole we call the prison planet matrix. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. you
0: listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain
1: TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to Pain TV slash Gold. All right, folks. And remember too, one of the tools that these guys use over and over and over again to socially engineer us. It's problem, reaction, solution, right? They create a problem, uh, let's say, pick anything, let's say the Great Depression, they create the problem, they provoke the reaction, save us, save us, that's usually the reaction for everything, save us, save us, protect us from ourselves, and then the solution is more regulation. So, Great Depression, save us, save us, then we bring in the New Deal. Right. Panic of 1907. Save us. Save us. They bring in the Federal Reserve. You see how they do this. So it's always this solution that then actually ends up creating more problems. And then they have. So it's like a gremlin, folks, a gremlin. You pour water on it and it multiplies. So they create the problem, provoke the reaction and then offer the solution. And it's usually more than one solution, and then each of the solutions creates 100 new problems. And then they can provoke those reactions and then offer more solutions. Just like look at COVID Land, the high school theater production. Think of all the reactions, and then think of all the solutions they offer, and then think of all the problems that those solutions create. You can't even do it. It would take you a hundred years to sit there and just dissect one thing, like COVID land, the high school theater production, and try to figure out the problem, reaction, solution loops that they create with just one of these one of these problems. But the big solution is transhumanism. The big solution is technocracy. Those are the answers. Humans are inefficient society is inefficient let us control society let us control humans and that's the fourth industrial revolution the merger of the physical biological and digital we've gone over that many times in this show all right I am back here at the document that we started to review yesterday. I want to get a little more of this in today. I'm going to cover it tomorrow. If I have time now, I just realized I have to pick up my mother-in-law. She's flying in from Poland, folks. And she's arriving tomorrow in the afternoon. So I have to pick her up at the airport. She's coming here for three months to help out with the baby and to allow me to keep working on this show. So she's going to be taking over my job. My wife and I do about 50-50 on the cooking cleaning and stuff like that but my wife's uh, mother said hey i'll come over there and help and this way you can work on the show and i can hang out with the grandkid so that's going to be a lot of fun so i have to pick her up but if i have time i'm going to finish up birth without violence in one episode and then try to finish this document So, for those of you in the audio-only audience, up on the screen, I have Retrospectives, Eugenics and Economics in the Progressive Era by Thomas C. Leonard. And this is written in the fall of 2005 in the Journal of Economic Perspectives. Again, we started to review this in episode 90. It's a very important document. Let me pick up with the last paragraph that we reviewed. It's uh, Walker proposed that Native Americans would not compete with immigrants from the, quote, low-wage races, end quote. And he's not talking about Native Americans like the folks with headdresses that sell dreamcatchers on the side of a road out of a teepee and drink firewater. He's talking about Americans that were born here, people native to America, right, which he is making the claim that they are sort of the superclass class. And they're not going to compete with immigrants coming in willing to work for low wage. Uh, low wages, which are, you know, similar to the same scam that they keep pulling today. They bring in illegal aliens who work under the table for less money for construction jobs, and they take those jobs from Americans, natives that live here, that were born here, right? Or in the case of, let's say, H-1B visas, they'll bring in Indians legally to do the job that your son, who they told to go to school for programming, went for. Your son wants 125000 a year. They'll bring in an Indian who will do it for $75,000 75000 a year. Then on top of it, I still believe this is in place. If you have someone here on an H-1B visa, you don't need to give them workman's comp, insurance, other things like that. So it costs them a lot less. So if your kid wants $125,000, then they have to pay workman's comp insurance and health care and everything else on top of it. Your kid might cost them $200,000 a year. Well, the $75,000 a year Indian is going to do it just for $75,000. So this is how they do it. This they were talking about going all the way back to, this is 1899, so almost 125 years ago. And as you see, the problem-reaction-solution loop just continues. They just recycle the same arguments over and over and over. We went through the big immigration uh, scam under Donald Trump where nothing changed. Only 81 miles of the supposed 2,000-mile wall actually got built. And so it's just scam after scam after scam, and they just rerun them. They just rinse and repeat. So it goes to say, quote, the American shrank from the industrial competition thrust upon him, end quote, Walker argued. Quote, he was unwilling himself to engage with the lowest kind of day labor with these new elements of the population. He was even more unwilling to bring sons and daughters into the world to enter that competition, end quote. Walker characterized the new elements of the population, quote, peasants, end quote, from, quote, southern Italy, Hungary, Austria, and Russia, end quote as, quote, beaten men from beaten races representing the worst failures in the struggle for existence. All right, again... Over here, you're talking about Italy, Hungary, Austria, and Russia. Today, we, well, let's say 10 years ago, 20 years we're talking about Mexicans and Guatemalans and Ecuadorians. But we go and we destabilize these countries and then actually funnel money into NGOs like USA that we actually pay for with our tax dollars to then drive these people up into the country. We pretend to be having a crisis and to be securing the border when we're not. And we actually drive the competition right here into the country. The same is what's Really going on in Russia Ukraine as we are destabilizing that area and then forcing these poverty-stricken Ukrainians into places like Poland and then utilizing them to destroy the culture in Poland create resentment create competition in Poland that was completely unnecessary but the idea is to destabilize Poland and so now the United States is over in Poland building an army base and trying to provoke Poland into war and the Polish politicians are as corrupt as every other politician and they're gladly. On board because they're being paid off by the wonderful united states goes on to say centuries are against them as centuries were on the side of those who formerly came to us walker predicted that without racial immigration restriction quote every foul and stagnant pool of population in europe in which no breath of intellectual life has stirred for ages will be Uh, decanted upon our shores, end quote. All right, so he's basically saying the world will send their garbage here to the United States. I've compared the United States to the world's truck stop bathroom. So again, it's no different than it was back then. It goes on to say, like Fisher, Ross, Patton, Fetter, and Farnham, Walker endorsed eugenic policies, quote, we must strain out of the blood of the race more of the taint inherited from a bad and vicious past, end quote, Walker proposed posed, quote, before we can eliminate poverty, much more pauperism from our social life. The scientific treatment which is applied to physical diseases must be extended to mental and moral disease, and a wholesome surgery and cautery must be enforced by the whole power of the state for the good of all, end quote. See, so again, they're not talking about closing the borders, turning away ships, and stopping immigration. They water down society by bringing in the poverty stricken from all areas of the world, and then they say we have a problem, and then the solution to that problem is going to be eugenics, or the solution is going to be transhumanism, I explained it yesterday. They create the artificial intelligence, think of that as the immigrant coming in, and then they tell us that the artificial intelligence is going to outdo us, undercut us, they say the same thing about the immigrant, then the solution is not to stop artificial intelligence, the solution is not to turn the immigrant away. The solution is to merge us in with the artificial intelligence. Well, the solution here is not to turn the immigrant away. It's to then do eugenics, right? So then eugenics is going to stop. With the immigrants? No. It's going to continue across all what they call Native Americans. uh, People born here, just as today. You don't have a free pass because you were born here. If they look at you as stupid or inefficient, guess what? You're going to be cleansed from society as well. This is how smart these guys guys are. Problem, reaction, solution. says, eugenics to one side, Walker was, for his time, a sophisticated student of population. Walker found that early 19th century population forecasts for 1840 and 1850 assumed little immigration, but were nonetheless quite accurate. Noting that a relatively large increase in immigration had occurred during the 1830 to 1839 and 1840 to 1849 decades, Walker concluded that the unanticipated immigration must have induced a native decline in birth rate. Otherwise, the forecast, in assuming little immigration, would have underestimated the total population. A few critics disagreed, saying that native fertility began declining well before immigration increased and that the causes lay in increased urbanization, higher living standards, and later age of marriage. Those critics were ignored. Whatever the merits of Walker's case viewed from today, it is important to know that even sophisticated students of population embraced race suicide theory and eugenic solutions to it see so they're always moving towards this idea of eugenics right it's like this is what they want to do they ignore all these other facts and they want to move into Eugenics. So if you have people criticizing, let's say, artificial intelligence and putting the facts out there that we're replacing workers, these guys come up with a thousand other solutions uh, and reasons as to why workers are being erased. And then they tell you the solution is just to merge with the machine, just to go for transhumanism. When we reach this point of singularity, the merger of man and machine, everything will be fine. So you can see back then in the early stages of eugenics, they were... Were creating this problem, and then real uh, reasons for the problems being created. Uh, one of which is going to be the rise in machines coming out of the industrial era, they don't want to look to that as the problem because they're trying to offer the solution of eugenics, of weeding the dregs of society out of the gene pool and then of breeding the people that they believe are going to be the most efficient workers, folks. It has nothing to do with increasing your personal traits are making you a better person it's making you a better person for the state a better worker it's breeding the strongest male slave with the strongest female slave to create a baby slave that's going to grow up to be strong who can pick more cotton per hour And this went across all colors, all races, all creeds, all religions. That's what these guys were doing. They wanted to play God to create a super race that would actually be able to be a strong human engine as the technocrats put it folks you see how it's all coming together i mean these are very sick people but remember what i said at the beginning of the show what makes them dangerous is if they actually believe they're good and they're doing good for society that makes them very dangerous a hundred times more dangerous than if they actually know that they are evil all right i'll be right back folks this is dust and gold with the dust and gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold
0: War are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back. To the dust and gold standard. You are listening to pain.tv slash go folks. Drop us that five-star review and that comment over at Apple Podcast, please. That's the least you can do. I beg you, I beg of you folks. All right, let's continue with this. It says, race suicide theories were popular abroad as well. In England, for example, Fabian socialist Sidney Webb devised the novel term, quote, adverse selection, end quote, to describe what he saw as English race suicide. Quote, 25% of our parents, as Professor Carl Pearson keeps warning us, is producing 50% of the next generation. This can hardly result in anything but national deterioration, or as an alternative in this country, gradually falling to the Irish and the Jews. End quote. In the latter half of the Progressive Era, race suicide and proposed eugenic solutions had enough currency to appear in leading textbooks. In his elementary principles, Irving Fisher, And this is from 1907, declared that, quote, if the vitality or vital capital is impaired by a breeding of the worst and a cessation of the breeding of the best, no greater calamity could be imagined, end quote. Fortunately, said Fisher, eugenics offered a means, quote, by isolation in public institutions and in some cases by surgical operation, end quote, to prevent the calamity of quote, inheritable taint, end quote. Similarly, Frank Fetter, this is 1918, lamented in his economic principles quote, democracy and opportunity are increasing the mediocre and reducing the excellent strains of stock. Progress is threatened unless social institutions can be so adjusted as to reverse this process of multiplying the poorest and of extinguishing the most capable families, end quote. Eugenic policies would introduce, Feder argued, quote, an element of rational direction into the process of perpetuating the race end quote folks these were leading scholars and stuff out there actually saying this now remember a lot of the policies they embraced created a number of these problems and then their solutions are genocide sterilization forced breeding of what they call this uh, great stock folks see they look at people as animals right? They look at people as machines. They look at people as engines. This is what they think of humans. So these folks want to really get into this Frankenstein technology, which has led us up to today, this transhumanism, to try to engineer perfection. So you have to create a problem, which is to flood one culture with all these different cultures, and then force this multiculturalist idea right? But people don't blend together. And then you can start to turn the people that were the so-called natives against the new people coming. But instead of saying, let's turn the ships away, let's close our borders, they introduced these ideas of eugenics, like let's start killing people, right? And the whole idea is not to secure your place in this society, it's to turn you into a better, stronger worker for the state. These are the progressives. I mean, if your friends on the left actually knew this, actually knew this history, and I'm sure many of you do, uh, either you're here because you want to learn about it, or you're here because you know a little bit about it, or you're here because you want to poke holes in what I'm talking about, whatever it may be, Uh, if your friends on the left who identify as progressive knew this, this is what they look at as people on the right, as conservatives are actually doing. Now, you can have arguments back and forth about illegal immigration and legal immigration and securing the border and deporting people that are here illegally and slowing down or ending legal immigration. We can have all those discussions. Those are real discussions. Any sovereign country has the right to have those kind of discussions. You know, am I going to be upset if, if Poland turned around and said, Dustin isn't allowed in. We're not allowing Americans in. I mean, I might be upset about it, but at the end of the day, I would respect Poland's sovereignty. I would respect their decision. I don't believe we live in a global society. I mean, I know we live under a global government, but it is their decision. So those discussions could be had. That's not what they're talking about here. They're using those problems to then advance the argument about genocide and sterilization and forced breeding. Right? I mean, it's insanity, folks, but you can see it. And again, this is growing in this country at the same time the technocracy is rising, at the same time that the uh, federalized central banks are rising. It's all happening at the same time. This section is called The Eugenic Effects of Minimum Wage Laws. And this gets really interesting, folks. It says, During the second half of the progressive era, beginning roughly in 1908, progressive economists and the reform allies achieved many statutory victories, including state laws that regulated working conditions. Okay, just re- you have to pay attention to this, okay? So the progressive economists that are pushing for eugenics at the same time and let me just read this again during the second half of the progressive era beginning roughly in 1908 progressive economists and their reform allies achieved many statutory victories including state laws that regulated working conditions banned child labor instituted mother's pensions capped working hours and the sin qua non fixed minimum wages, okay? So, all these things happen. Now, again, I'm not saying they're right. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just presenting the facts to you, presenting the facts, okay? Just like when I talked about in the beginning of the country, only white landowning men voted. And I showed you that if you want to restore the republic, you have to be willing to tell your wife and your black neighbor and the Native American guy who sells Dreamcatchers down the street, that they are not allowed to vote. Okay, that's what you'd have to do if you want to restore the republic. So all these things have changed. So number one, you don't live in the same country as George Washington, all right? And number two... The progressives are pushing all this stuff. So the progressives put into place minimum wage laws. That's a big one. Banned child labor, instituted mothers' pensions, All right. capped working hours. Well, what did all those policies do? They work against what these guys claim they want. So they say the Native Americans, the people born here, are being pushed out of the labor pool because the immigrants are coming in and undercutting them. So then they go push all these policies in place that force the further undercutting of the very people they claim to be wanting to protect, right? This middle class worker. Well, they're not protecting them if they are putting uh, regulated working conditions and capping working hours and putting minimum wages into place. Because now what they're doing, as they have open borders, they are Bringing in cheaper labor, essentially slaves, de facto slaves, because if the government does not enforce uh, the laws against having someone here illegally working, uh, same as we see today, then someone is going to use them because they are cheaper. So they're creating the problem. Very simple to see this. You know, if you take Bernie Sanders calling for, let's say, a $50 an hour minimum wage and you institute that, but then you have 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, 40 million illegal aliens here willing to work for $25 an hour under the table, well, the person who makes the $50 an hour minimum wage is now eliminated from the work pool and he goes on the welfare rolls, soon to be universal basic income. You see how this works? Very calculated. These people are brilliant. It says, in using eugenics to justify exclusionary immigration legislation, the race suicide theories offered a model to economists advocating labor reforms, notably those affiliated with the American Association for Labor Legislation, the organization of academic economists that Orloff and Paul, this is in 1984, call the, quote, leading association of u.s social reform advocates in the progressive era end quote it says progressive economists like their neoclassical critics believe that binding minimum wages would cause job losses however the progressive economists also believed that the job loss induced by minimum wages was a social benefit as it performed the eugenic service, ridding the labor force of the, quote, unemployable, end quote. All right, so do you understand that? If the minimum wage is, uh, let's say you're paying the guy who washes dishes at your restaurant $3 an hour. It's at any given time. It doesn't matter. And they make the minimum wage $5 an hour. What they're saying is that guy isn't worth $5 an hour, so now he's going to be fired. So it's pushing what they call the unemployable out of the workforce. Well, he's unemployable because he's not worth the money that you, the government, is telling the business owner that person is worth. See, all this stuff is a very nuanced conversation. Because you don't want to be, see people treated as slaves, but you also can't play in into the social engineering that the progressive economists back then were pushing let's continue it says sydney and patrice webb and this is 1897 put it plainly quote with regard to certain sections of the population the quote unemployable end quote this unemployment is not a mark of social disease but actually of social health end quote Quote, of all ways of dealing with these unfortunate parasites, end quote, Sidney Webb in 1912 opined in the Journal of Political Economy, quote, the most ruinous to the community is to allow them to unrestrainedly compete as wage earners, end quote. A minimum wage was seen to operate eugenically through two channels by deterring prospective immigrants. Uh, And also by removing from employment the, quote, unemployable, end quote, who thus identified could be, for example, segregated in rural communities or sterilized. You see what these guys are doing? So they claim that they're putting a minimum wage into place in order to then get the business owners to throw someone out of their job because they don't want to pay them that minimum wage. And now if they're unemployed, they can couple unemployment with other laws that then allows them to take someone who's unemployed, who they deem to be unfit, to live, to be forced to live in a segregated rural community. Over in Poland, I saw the Jewish ghettos. This is where they drove the Jews, the Nazis did, into ghettos and they had to stay inside the ghetto until they were moved out to concentration camps and killed or worked to death, right? So it's the same thing the progressives were doing back here, the progressive economists. So they want to force people out of their jobs by enforcing a minimum wage law that the business owner doesn't want to pay to that person and then once they're unemployed employed they want to segregate them into these rural communities or sterilize them all right that means stop them from having children by chemical means you see, you see how evil these people are but how calculated they are and this is all to do what why do they have these policies so that they can sit there and do genocide and turn the good workers into slaves and be able to control everything folks follow the control follow the power and then in the 99 percent you can follow the money and you'll see how all this stuff gets implemented because you need people bureaucrats business owners to go along with this so you financially incentivize them you play to their greed or you play to their needs and then they will go along with this stuff just like the climate hustle but you can see how sick these people are folks creating policies for the purpose of moving people towards the solution which happens to be the final solution uh, which is to basically kill people genocide people this was happening right here in the united states with leading economists leading scientists leading engineers leading scholars leading philosophers right here in the united states of america know you're history and you will know your future. Ladies and gentlemen, remember, start to think about this. The real solutions: 1 educate, 2 insulate, 3 separate, 4 congregate, and 5 accelerate. It's time to put your foot on the gas. I'll see you guys tomorrow. My name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard, and this is pain.tv/gold. The matrix is a computer generated dream world. <laughs>